Turn with me this morning to John chapter 13 in the New Testament scriptures. John chapter 13. I'll read verses 1 through 17 for our consideration this morning. John chapter 13 and reading verses 1 through 17. Again, next week's Palm Sunday and then the week after that Easter. So I wanted to look at some of these passages that lead to those climactic events of the work of Christ. So John chapter 13 beginning at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, You have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your holy word and for the Lord Jesus Christ, the triune God who is revealed in these scriptures. It helps to see with the eyes of faith, to savor what we learn of Christ this morning, to know him, to believe in him, to feed on him by faith, to walk with him and to go out transformed by his grace and giving glory to you, rejoicing in the good news. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is the muddiest or the dirtiest you have ever gotten in your life? When my children were in the fifth grade, they took a trip, as perhaps many of you or your own children did, to the St. Christopher Camp and Conference Center off the coast of Charleston, or mainly simply referred to as Barrier Island. And the highlight of the Barrier Island trip was going to the mud pit. It's a brackish creek that pools at one of its bends. And when you come out of the mud pit, you are literally covered in mud from head to toe. As deep down as you go, the mud sticks to every part of you. 
Some of the kids even embraced that. They would go all the way under the water, come out with mud in their hair and in their ears and on their face. And when you were done getting muddy, the instructors required you to go wash off in the ocean. If you washed in the facilities, you'd clog up the pipes because there was so much mud. And so they sent you to the ocean. Now, keep in mind, this trip usually takes place in the middle of March, not exactly prime swimming season. Uh, But you would wade out to about waist deep, and then you would bob up and down, plunging up and down. It looked like a Baptist baptismal service out there. Kids up and down to get all of the mud off of you. And, And even after that, most people just threw away the clothes they wore in the mud pit. Well, today's passage is a story about getting dirty, about getting muddy, and about getting clean. And it is full of instructions and applications, things we'll draw out. But before Jesus teaches the lesson, he first acts it out. When he takes the place of a servant and washes his disciples' feet. And as you'll often see when you read through John, there's a sign followed by an explanation of its significance. And in this case, the significance of the story is vitally connected to the ultimate sign that Jesus will soon give when he is crucified and resurrected. So let's take a look at the story today where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Let's see how Jesus loves us, washes us, and transforms us. And we'll take it under those three headings. So first... Jesus loves us and gives us a picture of his saving work. Now, this story begins with a rather lengthy introduction. It's broken up into several sentences in our English translation, but the first four verses are just one long sentence introducing this story. So we're first told when the event takes place, just before the Passover Festival. So towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he performs this act. Then we are told Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So here's another reference to Jesus' hour, this time when he will suffer and die in order to bring glory to God and defeat the devil and draw all the nations to himself. It draws closer by the minute. And what drives Jesus towards that hour? The end of verse 1 tells us, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's the lens through which you can view all of the following events. The foot washing to come, and especially Jesus' death on the cross, are motivated by his love for his people. Love is what Jesus has been all about all along. And now he will show us love's fullest extent. And when John writes there that Jesus loved his own to the end, you can read that both ways. John often does this, double meaning. Jesus loved them completely to the uttermost. And Jesus loved them to the very end of his life. What is love really like? Jesus shows us right here. And so the introduction goes on. We read in verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So in stark contrast, 
to Jesus' love stands the devil who aims only to destroy. He has seduced Judas and Judas has complied and now this disciple stands ready to betray Jesus to the authorities. But friends, that is how God's will will be accomplished. As verse 3 reads, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows that if he faces this betrayal and perseveres through the cross, then God will raise him up. And not only will God raise him up, this is how Jesus will obtain his kingdom and his people and bring in a new creation. And maybe it's hard to understand sometimes when you read the flow of scripture. Why must glory be preceded by suffering? Well, that is the path Jesus walks. And in the face of Judas's betrayal, And Peter's denial, Jesus faces the coming darkness with love and service and humility. And therefore, at verse 4, John begins to give us the actual event of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And one study Bible describes the foot washing as a prophetic act, an acting out beforehand of Jesus' upcoming death on their behalf. Jesus won't merely tell them he loves them. Jesus will show them. And both by washing their feet and especially by offering himself at the cross. And so the first thing that Jesus does when washing their feet is to remove his outer garment. Quite frankly, Jesus stripped to a loincloth. And that is how slaves would dress. And then he wipes a towel or he wraps a towel around his waist, the one he will use to dry the disciples' feet. In washing the feet, that was a common social custom uh, back in that day. It was made necessary by people walking long distances on dusty roads in sandals. So just like you might want someone to take their shoes off if they come to your house. So it was common for a host uh, to provide water to make sure water was available for guests to wash their feet when they arrived. Well, Jesus performs the task himself. He pours water into a basin and washes the disciples' feet one by one, including Judas the betrayer. And friends, there will be many lessons in this act about humility and service. You even heard some of them as we read the passage. They'll emerge, but the story begins with this emphasis on Christ's love. Christ loved his own who were in the world and loved them to the end. God so loved the world, John's best known verse. And Jesus loves his own in the world and he rescues us from the world system that would keep us in darkness. Because Jesus loves us, he goes to the cross. And before he goes to the cross, he gives this picture of love to show us exactly what the cross will accomplish. So what will the cross accomplish? Well, Jesus tells us in the next part of the story, where we see that Jesus washes every last part of us. So Jesus is washing the disciples' feet one by one, and presumably they're silent As Jesus does this, his unconventional action has probably shocked them into silence. 
But when Jesus gets to Peter, he speaks up. Verse 6 reads, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And one author notes that the way the sentence or the question is framed, it suggests uh, indignant emphasis. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? As he often does, Peter feels the need to pump the brakes on Jesus' actions. Now, why is Peter, and probably the other disciples as well, bothered by Jesus' actions? I mean, this is a common thing, washing feet in the ancient world as part of daily life. Well, they're probably bothered because it's scandalous for someone in a superior position to do this for others. As I said a moment ago, to to remove the outer garment, that is to dress as a slave. Washing someone's feet, that's servants' work. Probably even the lower servants, Gentile servants or women. That's not a good social structure, but that was the reality in their day. The, The lowest classes would wash feet. And in addition, it may be that Peter is thinking, you know, we, the disciples, Jesus, we, we should have done this for you. You're the teacher and the Lord. We, we should be following the social order and wash your feet. And maybe they just kind of forgot to do it or, or maybe pride kept them from doing it. And so here's Peter thinking we've fallen short in our duty. But D, D, Jesus doesn't do this to show them that, to show them up, to convict them of their failure. No, he's doing this to turn their understanding of authority completely upside down and to show them the significance of his upcoming work on the cross. And maybe that's just something they can't yet perceive. That's why he tells them in verse 7, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter, you've got to trust me. I know what I am doing. Later you will understand the significance of my actions, that suffering leads to glory. So so maybe your objection is well motivated, but it's ignorant of my larger goals and the larger way of doing things in God's kingdom. And you need to have faith that I know what I'm going to do. You need to have faith in that, that that is the better way. Well, Peter, as usual, says, okay, Lord, my bad. No, Peter doubles down on his objection. Isn't that how he likes to respond? And he says in verse 8, no, you shall never wash my feet. His language is emphatic. Some translations place an exclamation point at the end of the sentence. Another renders it, you will never wash my feet ever. Peter is resolute. Jesus, you're not going to turn the tables on us. Well, Jesus is used to dealing with these kinds of objections, and so he responds, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. This is John's get thee behind me Satan moment. Peter, you can't stand between me and my loving, humble, redemptive purposes. If you want to participate In this community of Jesus followers, Peter, if you want to distinguish yourself from Judas and the devil, then accept what I'm doing here. Accept the action and accept its significance. And now Peter, to his credit, does respond enthusiastically. Well, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And so this gives Jesus the opportunity to explain the significance of his actions. Verse 10 Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, 
Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Now, when Jesus appends that last phrase, though not every one of you, there's a clue that we're dealing with a larger spiritual lesson. John has already told us that Satan has prompted Judas to betray Jesus. So when Jesus says not all of the disciples are clean, he's saying not everyone in this room has participated in the larger reality that baths and foot washing point to. So what are those larger realities? Well, first, there's the implication that all people need to be cleansed from something. He talks about the necessity of getting a bath and says that those who bathe are clean except for the betrayer. So everybody needs to be cleansed. Now, what do we need to be cleansed from? John doesn't tell us here, but he already told us at the very beginning of the gospel. When John the baptizer saw Jesus and proclaims, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The world is characterized by sin, by rebellion against God. There is a world system that corrupts, that encourages you and me to live according to our lust and our pride, that that would keep us from finding our satisfaction in Jesus Christ, in that which is eternal. But God loves that world. And God sent his son to take away its sin so that people can be freed from Satan's dominion and come to follow Jesus in faith and obedience. So we all need to be cleansed. Second then, Jesus' actions here tell us that when we commit to follow him, when we join the company of his people, when we believe in him, when we trust his work on our behalf, when we swear allegiance to him, when we submit to him, basically. Peter, let me wash you. Then those sins are cleansed. We get a spiritual bath. And the result of your spiritual bath is you are clean. And how good it is before God to be cleansed in our souls and in our consciences and in our hearts and in our minds by this cleansing, forgiving blood of Christ. And then, it doesn't start, stop there, as part of his people, we experience ongoing cleansing throughout our lives. That's why Jesus says those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. See, you can bathe and get yourself clean, but your feet still get dirty. As you go about this life. And again, keep in mind that people in that culture did not bathe as regularly as we do. A bath was a big deal. It had rather obvious effects. And so that's why Jesus is comparing it to our decisive cleansing. The cleansing we receive when we are joined to Christ. That makes us clean. But then even clean people still need to wash their feet. Because you can get dirty In this life, through choices, we still sin. But guess what? Jesus provides cleansing for that too. That is what his words teach here. That is what his actions show here. 
Jesus' point isn't just to say, hey, I'm just giving you a foot washing. This is the little cleansing. Really, the whole episode is just setting up the whole picture. Jesus' work on the cross will accomplish a definitive cleansing. And by faith in him, the disciples receive that. And then that cleansing, that spiritual washing will continue as you need it throughout your life. When fresh cleansing is needed, fresh cleansing will be provided. So don't sin. Do not make light of sin. Don't ever act like sin is no big deal. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, as John goes on to write in his first letter. Jesus washes every last part of you. So let's look then at the final idea, that Jesus transforms us into loving, humble servants. Jesus now takes the spiritual lesson and gives us a specific or a concrete application of it. He asks in verse 12, do you understand what I have done for you? And then answers his own question in verses 13 through 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. If Jesus, the teacher and Lord, can love and serve his disciples, then they can love and serve one another. He has set an example for them, and they should go and do likewise. And let me answer two quick questions so that we can apply this passage. First, does Jesus mean that we should physically wash one another's feet? Is Jesus giving us a practice here along the lines of baptism and the Lord's Supper? Now, what would you do if I said yes? I would just love to see the reaction. I I joked with one of you, let's put some basins and towels out and just really get people nervous uh, before, you're you're still nervous, I can tell, uh, before we go into this a message. You know, some people say yes to that question. I don't know how common it is today. My biggest objection to saying, okay, there, there's a physical practice that we have to copy here. My biggest objection to that would be to say, foot washing does not mean in our society what it meant in Jesus's. You cannot translate it easily simply by imitating the practice. You can translate baptism. You can translate the meaning of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are more transcultural. We, we easily see the significance of those actions. Were we to then adopt foot washing, it would make the church seem strange. I would think it would maybe even make it look scandalous beyond what is necessary, beyond anything that Jesus asks us to do as Christians. Now, the significance of the foot washing can translate. And that can proclaim a powerful message. Jesus takes the form of a servant in a highly stratified society. 
And there are still elements of that around today. We still live in a society that's divided by rank and standing and popularity and wealth. Well, in any stratified society, pride always refuses to take the lower role, but Jesus did. And he tells us to follow his example, to serve one another in humility, rather than seeking preeminence over one another. And that is certainly something that we can do in our relationships with one another. It is something we can do with those outside of the Christian community. That is how we show love, both to one another and to non-believers. That's how we show what Jesus is like. So we should certainly take the significance and figure out how to plug it into our everyday Life, And then the second question is, well, how does this connect to the spiritual significance of Jesus's cleansing? In other words, I think I found it a little odd as I read the passage that Jesus gives this object lesson of salvation, but then tells the disciples, okay, go serve one another. And I think I was wondering, well, how are those two connected? And I think we can answer that question by just seeing how all of these ideas of love, humility, service, and cleansing. They are just all interconnected in this passage. So cleansing pictures atonement, which is driven by love. And so we should love one another. To serve one another is shocking, but how much more shocking the death of the cross. So as Christ served unto death, So we love and serve one another because we're transformed by his death. So they just all overlap to inform one another, which is, by the way, another reason not to limit the application to physical foot washing. The the implications go way beyond, perhaps in even more difficult ways. And so, in conclusion, this this passage pictures the gospel. We need cleansing. Like Judas, we can be seduced by the devil, but Jesus loves us and died to save us from the pollution of sin and from the tyranny of the devil. And in him we receive definite cleansing and ongoing cleansing. And that love drives us to love and serve one another and show the world what Christ is like. And so as the end of the passage says, as Jesus says, now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you do them. So let's pray for grace to do that. Let's thank God for his saving work. Pray with me. Father in heaven, first we thank you for your mercies again. And we ask that you would forgive us for when we do not reflect the virtues of this passage. Forgive us for when we fail to do what it commands. And so we thank you so much for the love of Christ. We thank you for the work of Christ to cleanse us, to transform us. No matter how dark and dirty our sin, the love of Christ and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. So transform us, Lord. Make us humble, loving servants of one another and of those outside of our church. 
and continue to meet our needs. We thank you for just the ongoing work of the gospel here. Again, thank you for caring uh, for our congregation. We, we would just add to our thanks today your, your care for Joan and her surgery going well this week. Pray for tra- uh, safe travels as she returns home. And just as we live together uh, in the community of Christ, Lord, teach us your truth and transform us into your image. And we thank you for these things, praying in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's sing in closing then hymn 251, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Hymn 251, stand with me and we'll sing these three verses.